Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at the 1800s Jane Austen comedy drama romp Emma. We're also going to take a gander at Amazon Prime's Honey Boy. That's that movie uh, Shia LaBeouf wrote and stars in as his own father, kind of. Uh, we're also going to look at some trailers coming up. We did the trailer park last week, and we covered like six trailers, and then like three more came out in the span of two days that we feel like we should probably talk about. Uh, some are hit, some are miss, and you'll hear that in between our film reviews. And before we get to all of it, of course, we need to hit the news with three stories this week. First up, Steven Spielberg will not be directing Indiana Jones 5, but James Mangold is in talks to replace. Andy, what do you know about this? Well, uh, after <laughs> some quite a bit of delays with Indiana Jones 5, it was supposed to come out, I think, in 2017 or 2018, and it's just been continually de- delayed. Um, Spielberg has just taken on other projects. I think right now his big one is the uh, West Side Story remake. Um, so they're handing the reins off to James Mangold, who most recently did Ford vs. Ferrari and, of course, uh, Logan from a couple of years ago. So he's going to take over uh, for this franchise. Yes, uh, Mangold, like you said, did Ford v. Ferrari. He also did Logan and The Wolverine, Night and Day, and 310 to Yuma a while back. Uh, James Mangold is, is a pretty pretty not bad director, I think. Uh, he also produced Call of the Wild, but that's completely besides the point. Uh, I think people are pretty pleased with this news, right, to be picking up Indiana Jones 5. Uh, he, they are doing one, for anybody who didn't know. I think we covered that a little while back on the show. Uh, any, any, any hot takes on him being in the director's chair. I think this is a really good move. He's made a, he has a good track record of some really exciting filmmaking. I, I wasn't totally into Ford versus Ferrari, but it was like technically an incredibly well-made film. Um, but I think also we're over this idea that you have to have the original directors or the original creators be a part of something. In the 80s, this is what had to happen. Like You couldn't make Star Wars unless you could get the George Lucas team together, or you couldn't do Indiana Jones without uh steven spielberg but in in the era of franchises and in in universe building we realize that we don't have to stick to a a director you kind of the movie almost gets produced behind the scenes and then the director just kind of makes sure that it happens um so i think this is this is a good move and i think we're just kind of in a different place when it comes to these kind of legacy properties yeah, I, I'm I'm intrigued to see where it goes. The movie's being written by a man named Jonathan Kasdan, who is the son of the guy who wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark, Lawrence Kasdan. Uh, James Mangold has been able to pick up some kind of older franchises and maybe turn them and spin them and, and bring some emotion that that's necessary. Really, I think of Logan when I say that. But, like, he's he seems to be pretty skilled at really, like, bringing... Bringing properties we're familiar with to another another emotional level and adding some depth. And when you talk about an Indiana Jones movie, obviously you need to hit the high notes, right? You got to have the fedora and the whip and you got to have the music and the set pieces and that kind of adventure noir feel that George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were going for way back when they decided to make these adventure films starring our Indiana Jones. I think he'll be able to hit those just fine and I think he'll be able to elevate the character to something new, maybe towards retirement, which I would imagine <laughs> is where our... Uh, titular hero is going but i guess we'll have to see uh next up on the news uh the invisible man screams loudly that's a headline with 29 million dollars <laughs> u.s uh start and it made 49 million dollars globally the first weekend uh horror films are still hitting high at the box office andy Yes, surprisingly, um, this is a win for a number uh, of reasons. Uh, first of all, this film was made for $7 million. So huge return on investment for uh, Blumhouse. And also, this is also the first successful film in this, what was it, attempted uh, horror universe yeah. um, that Universal gave up on and sold. Uh, remember, The Mummy came out with Tom Cruise, cost $150 million, was a huge loss. Um, and that was the third or fourth attempt to... St- kind of jumpstart that universe and now um invisible man has done it and has i think kind of created a much different um kind of film as well it, i from what it's smaller it's more focused it's very much more about kind of domestic violence than necessarily uh, a kind of scariness um so yeah it's a big surprise yeah it's it's not a shame that this movie is doing well. Uh, it's a shame that I definitely watched a couple reviews for it already because I thought we weren't going to see it. 
Um, this movie is directed by uh, Lee or Lay uh, Wannell. Uh, Wannell, Wannell, I'm not even sure how to say his name. Uh, he's one of the writers and co-directors of the original Saw film. He's actually in the movie. He plays uh, Adam in the movie. He's one of the guys that's chained to a wall in the first Saw movie. Like out of the two yeah. guys that are chained to a wall. Um, since then, he'd been involved with Saw a little bit. He's worked on some other projects, but I think that's really his big claim to fame. And that movie is very clever. Like the first, <laughs> for people who don't know, the first Saw movie is a pretty clever film. And I think he and James Wan, who co-directed it, were able to kind of cobble that together between the two of them. And James Wan has gone on to do things like Furious Nine and and uh, I'm sure other stuff. Like he's do he's doing big things, I guess, but. Lee has been kind of stuck in writing. He hasn't really broken into directing yet. So this is his first feature. He's kind of got a background in kind of writing clever things, but actually directing the film is another thing entirely. And from what I've heard, uh, and we should probably just go see this film, uh, just, just, you know, see how it shakes out. Uh, it's, it's pretty well done. Like you said, it's, it's shifted more towards domestic violence, uh, and less towards like a, a man that turns invisible, you know, like it's, it's, it's a bit more modern. And that spin, I think is exactly what these, what these movies need, these properties need to be, you know, exciting at the box office again. Nobody was particularly excited by Tom Cruise's The Mummy. Nobody thought that was going to be cool, but this is different. This is intriguing in a way that's like, okay, th- th- this might be something new. Um, so and, yeah, and Blumhouse knows, knows how to do horror. Like they have a very successful track record, especially doing this low budget stuff that that is a hit. And and you know, at fifty million dollars worldwide, it's you know, it's, it's made huge profit. and It's only gonna earn more in in the coming weeks. It's true. Uh, a couple of fun facts in this uh, Hollywood Reporter article before we move on. Uh, Invisible Man definitely beat out its other horror offerings at the box office this last weekend. Uh, Fantasy Island from Bloomhouse and Sony kind of did terrible. Uh, not nearly as bad as Brahms the Boy 2. <laughs> Such a terrible title. Oh my god, it's so bad. Uh, it is the worst title, um, which made $9.8 million in its first 10 days, which is terrible, and I think had a much bigger budget than this movie. Um I was real quick before we go to the next story, dude. The first time I saw the trailer for Brahms, the boy too, I think was in Gretel and Hansel. I went and saw it with a buddy of mine. We audibly laughed in the theater when the title card came up because it's so bad. Like the whole trailer, like, oh, this is kind of interesting. What's going on in this movie? And it comes with a Brahms, the boy too, which is a real name, and it's so stupid. So oh it makes it makes a little bit more sense if you realize the first movie was called The Boy. But sure. I have no idea about the first film. Like, I don't even know when it came out or what it was about or I hadn't heard of it at all. They should have just called it, like, The Boy Lives or something. Like, make it so, like, if I, I don't have to know it's a sequel and instead they decided to go with Brahms but then backpedaled. And like, hold on, people need to know it's a sequel to The Boys so they know to go see it. Like, just, just bad. Um, so, yeah, how to, how, to, how, to, how to title movies. They could, they could take a page out of DC's playbook for that. Yeah. Uh, lastly, global film industry facing $5 billion loss amid coronavirus outbreak. $5 billion, man. That is a lot of change. That's not nothing. Yeah, it's uh, the the outbreak, uh, unfortunately, is spread to other countries, and uh, China has taken a huge hit. Uh, they've closed more than 70,000 theaters. Um, and so it's just people just aren't going to the movies. You know, one of the things you're not supposed to do or try to avoid are, are large gatherings. So film uh, theaters are part of that. Um, and now that the because the virus is now having serious outbreaks in Japan, Italy and South Korea, theaters are going to be shutting down there, too. And this might even be ha- coming to the U.S. eventually. Um, and this is going to be a huge hit to every movie. It doesn't matter how big your movie is. It, it's If it comes out during this kind of uh, uncertain time, it's going to take a big hit. There's calls. I saw another article that there are calls for um, to push back the, the new James Bond film to the summer. Uh, the writers have asked the, that the film be pushed back so that just, just so more, more people see it. Because um, that's supposed to come out in April 10th in about a month. Yeah, uh, due to, of course, the internet, our world is getting ever smaller, and China is a really big deal. Uh, We've seen some kind of things in the past with global regulation regarding, what, the NBA had some trouble with China on Twitter? Mm -hmm. Uh, Blizzard, a video game company, had some trouble with them, and things that were said on live stream versus what China did and did not accept for their people. 
Netflix and Hulu aren't even in China because of regulation over there. Like it is very difficult to leverage that industry from an entertainment aspect. And the film industry has been able to do it. And movies usually make big splashes over there or they totally bomb. But that's a it's a big way to make money, man. There's a lot of people in China. And so when people aren't going out to see movies, you're not making money, which is not great for the movie industry. I would love to see numbers on streaming services over there because there's three and none of them are any that we have here i just looked it up i i, I can't even say that one is 10 cent video and i can't pronounce the other two names andy probably could mm-hmm. uh but i i'd love to see how those are doing i know live streaming right now is getting really big over there because yeah people aren't leaving their houses they're staying in um maybe it's time for some some film innovation hmm? that'd be nice Fil- films at home can we get back on that conversation that was a cool idea but yeah um th- this is I mean, like you said, it's definitely probably going to boost the uh, the streaming uh, the streaming packages out, out there. If you know you can't go out and and uh, get the media, so but you can absolutely get it at home, which is the whole whole idea behind streaming. And yeah, so this is is created kind of an interesting situation, and we'll see how how the industry reacts to it. But it it looks like it's going to be a big big loss um, in the in the current like now and also you know we don't know what's going to happen in the next uh couple of months um before all this recovers yeah so you know i guess more to come uh this is not a show where we talk about global pandemics really uh but when it comes to affecting our 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 lovely cinema then by god we got a problem so that's right uh yeah (laughs) i guess you know more to come hey uh Use hand sanitizer, I guess. And with that, we should move into our first uh, film of the episode. I'm going to be taking the summary on this, so please bear with me. It's a movie that's not made for me, but I was excited to watch regardless. The movie is Emma. Dearly beloved friends, we gather here in this time of man's great innocence. Innocence? Innocence. So, Emma is the, I guess, a classic retelling of the Jane Austen tale about a young, just under 21-year-old girl, uh, well-meaning but maybe selfish young woman named Emma, of course, who meddles in the love lives of her friends in their small, uh, early 1800s England town. She She fancies herself a matchmaker. Emma, uh, setting up her friends with other acquaintances and boys and girls together because obviously she'll never find love for herself. She never wants to leave her father. She never wants to leave her lovely town. She's just excited to be the most wonderful woman in town that everybody adores. And she enjoys kind of wistfully managing other people's love lives uh, from afar uh, and and moving people around like chess pieces on a board in her lovely town. Uh, This is a remake of not only the book, but also, I think, of the movies that have come before. I think the version most people are most commonly familiar with is going to be a movie starring Gwyneth Paltrow of the same name, Emma, that came out in the 90s, I want to say. This this film stars Anya Taylor-Joy as Emma, uh, Bill Nye as her father, a handful of other cast members who I'm not too familiar with, but are actually pretty wonderful. Uh, Andy, what did you think of Emma? Well, like you said, the, I'm not the target audience uh, for this film. Um, it's definitely aimed at, you know, if you're a fan of high-class British period pieces, um, Jane Austen in general, that's that's who the fan base is. So it's not aimed at me. So there's some things that I didn't really like, but I think it is a really well-made film. Um, you have and this incredible cast really incredible costuming hair makeup all that kind of stuff the the stuff that puts you in the period um is done really well the way people talk and act and the clothing all that uh the story is a little didn't really excite me very Timeless. much is that the word you're looking yeah, for? I'm, yeah i'm not familiar with the property this is but you know the longer i thought about it, it reminded me of little women of uh, that if you're the more familiar you are with the literature, I think the more you'll enjoy it. If you know the story, it's it's like Shakespeare. If you if you've read Macbeth, if you've seen Macbeth, then when you see a new retelling of it, it's a little bit more exciting than if you go in without really knowing. Um, so, <clears throat> I, I think the acting's great, good performance, like technically well made. It's just not really for me. 
Yeah. Uh, so let's let's kind of dig into this a little bit. Uh, the first thing we need to know about Emma is it is directed by a man named Autumn DeWild. Uh, he is a music video director primarily. This is his first big feature. He's made a couple short films. He's made a lot of music videos. Uh, he, so he's more of an indie kind of guy. Uh, this is kind of his first big thing, but this movie is very stylized. I think that's the first place to kind of jump in. You can tell looking at the poster, it's very hyper-saturated, very bright colors, very bold fonts. It's a very particular look, and he knew what he was going for. It's very intentional. Uh, and being a film about kind of Brit- high, high, high society British culture, I'd say, everybody in the film is acting with a lot of that same intention. It's very well-spoken. The script is spoken very quickly. It is sometimes hard to catch what people are saying because they very quickly enunciate and move through very large words because they have a very large vocabulary because they are of a certain time and place. That does not make this a bad movie. It makes it a smart movie that you have to keep up with because if you're not paying attention, you will miss whole bits of conversation that just fly by in this movie. I still think that's very good. (laughs) I actually really enjoyed that about it. I thought it was really sharp and really smart and very biting and very witty, which is exactly what Jane Austen was doing when she was writing these things. But it's directed at such a pace that I think for some, it might be hard to keep up with. But if you can, I think you'll really enjoy it. Like I did. I actually thought it was really smart. I really enjoyed that about it. Um, Go ahead. I think I, I I was definitely, and again, because I said not, not being familiar with the, uh, the timeless tale. Um, I think I would benefit from a second viewing. I think I would enjoy yeah. it a lot more because there's a lot of characters. There's a lot of names. There's a lot of people who are referred to off screen. And it's, it's a little bit confusing on that point. And again, just like Shakespeare, if you're not familiar with the cast going into it, it's going to be a little bit hard to keep up with. And that that's a little bit how I felt at times, but that's more, that's more of a personal issue of just not being, familiar with this work right uh i'm not as well i've never seen it but my mom is a big fan uh of these movies so i was at least passingly familiar with kind of jane austen's style and the film adaptations that have come before christine is a fan of emma she's read it she loved it she was uh as some as as the only person i know that has read it and seen the film she was like giggling the whole movie loved it like she was all about it so in in the most passing of ways from (laughs) a woman i know who's read the book she loved this movie but um, I, I, I still enjoyed a lot about it. Um, I, I think it, uh, let me explain. It's got a small cast, right? And I think that's important. It's almost like a stage play. Our cast is maybe 15 or 20 people. There's some extras in there, but for the most part, like it's, it's pretty slim. It's, it's a pretty trim cast and everybody's referred to often by their last names, right? Mr. Knightley, right. Miss, Miss Woodhouse, Mrs. Bates, Mr. Elton, Mr. Churchill. Like they're pretty they're pretty easy to keep up with once you kind of get through the first act and you start hearing names over and over again, you start seeing the same characters over and over again. If it's a movie like something like, I don't know, the favorite, it might be confusing because there's so many faces, but because it's just so tight and they use the same locations and they use the same cast and the same settings over and over and over again, you start to come around on who's who by the end and who Emma is trying to match make to who and how she's trying to line up this girl with this guy, but this guy likes that girl. And there's this weird love triangle thing. Like, it, it does come around, but you you definitely got to keep up. Like, it, I, I something like Little Women, I would say, Greta Gerwig's film, is definitely a little easier to hold down to hold hold down with. But this one, it expects a lot of its audience. It expects you to be pretty sharp and pay attention. And you know, you're not you can't have your phone out and watch this movie. And I and I I respect that about it. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing but you got to make sure it's for you before you roll into the theater. Yeah. I, I still had, had a pretty good time there are, it's funny. Like there's a lot of good humor in it. It'll, it goes by really quickly. Uh, Again, the, the more, you know, the characters, the better I I think you'll, you'll enjoy. And and the acting is, is really spectacular. There's lots of, there's lots of crying, not ugly crying, but, but, uh, you know, not Oscar crying, but um, passionate crying. Uh, through lots of of people, uh, Mia Goth is in this as well. Who uh, I first saw in Suspiria, yes, <laughs> uh, which killed me because the whole movie I was like, "Who is that girl? Why do I know her?" Suspiria. That's where I knew her from. Well, and then there was someone else who's in. Um, she's in the in Game of Thrones. She plays Yara Greyjoy, um, but I yes. can't remember her name. Uh, I've got a Gemma Whalen. 
right was in this yeah uh bill nye like i said is the father yeah i i should while i'm sitting here saying well it's hard to keep up with it's hard to understand let me explain what you're what you're getting if you can keep up with this film right the the, the good things that are in here this movie, like I said, respects a smart audience and it expects you to keep up. But if you can do it, what you're what you're what you're in for is a lot of really sharp humor. It's very biting and very fast. There's never a moment when they stop for a laugh. It just doesn't happen. In fact, there's no yeah. There's never really a moment when they stop for a laugh. While I'm thinking about it, uh, but you're gonna get a lot of very quick quips and very quick surface. Uh, uh, I should say surface insults or jabs <laughs> at people's appearances and their appearances are particularly sharp because this is high society England and this movie's got a look that's just fantastic. The costuming is outstanding in this movie. The hair design is crazy good. There are textures and patterns on every wall and surface and it's all a little bit oversaturated. So it's just kind of jumps off the screen at you everybody's wearing these awesome fantastical outfits that look great and everybody's acting almost a little over dramatic because like you said almost like playing Shakespeare you have to play to this kind of older style of writing and speaking and and speech and tone and you really do get this almost kind of fun transformative stage play that really pulls you out of your seat and pulls you into this world Um, and because it moves so quick and because it jumps from scene to scene before you know it, these conversations are just flying by and then the movie's over. And it's like this kind of whirlwind experience you went on. And I think that leaves some people feeling satisfied and other people feeling unsatisfied. Mm-hmm. I, so I, t- I took a second to watch the um, the trailer for the 1996 version with yeah. uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, it made me really appreciate the modern one that we just saw the more modern one that we just saw um 2020 emma because that one looks really dated like even though it's a period piece it it looks a little unbearable yeah um although tony collette is in it and of course uh gwyneth paltrow and uh uh ewan mcgregor so i think i'll probably yeah oh man maybe i need to go back and watch that tony collette and ewan mcgregor that's great i think uh it, it Again, like like there's a '90s version of of Little Women. I think it'd probably be worth going back uh, to see the the version that they did. Well, and and this has also been done. Uh, there's been numerous TV film adaptations, novels, plays, offshoots. I di- I didn't realize the movie Clueless from '90s is based on this book. Really, I didn't know that either. Man, we. <laughs> Somebody out there listening is like a big, big Jane Austen Emma fan for like classic romance stuff. And I bet they're just appalled and like us people. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I, I also didn't know that. I, I think, I think this movie does a lot. Well, it, like it's, it's, it has to kind of pick up the reins of what's come before and make it modern and make it trendy. It's very avant-garde. Um, it, it, and it does some things. There's some choices in the director's chair from autumn to wild that I really respected. Um, this movie plays it safe. A lot of the time, Everything's on a tripod. There's not a whole lot of handheld shots. It's very still and very, very solid, very rooted in reality, right? But every once in a while, our, our director, Autumn DeWilde, with the first time in the big seat, decides to do something a little different. He, he does something bold. He, he does something strange. And and I really respected it. I, I thought it was some really confident filmmaking. Let me give you an example. Uh, there's a scene in this movie when Emma... Uh, insults another person. And 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 Emma is kind of selfish and she's kind of caught up in being her own person because she's young and she thinks she can kind of rule the world in this little town she's in because everybody thinks she's so beautiful and the greatest and Emma Woodhouse. Oh, Miss Woodhouse, she's the greatest. Um, she, she insults somebody at a party. And when she does it, rather than it being met with laughs, it's met with silence and it's awkward. And she's suddenly thrust into this position of people kind of seeing who she really is under underneath the skin and she has to deal with that later in the film but when she does it when she insults this person what she when she expects a laugh instead she's met with this awkward silence and rather than cut back to our to a reaction shot after emma says something awkward and weird it's the camera just hangs on anya taylor joy for like four seconds so uncomfortable yeah yeah and it's an awkward cut for an awkward moment and it's intentional and like you have to decide to do that and it works so well because sitting in your chair suddenly you feel awkward it's it's if the film got stuck and you're thinking wait what's what's happened here what's wrong and then you get your reaction shot and it's so perfect and this movie is full of little moments like that little little 
film techniques where rather than being on a tripod, suddenly the camera will slide to the left to see what's happening over here and then slide back to the right. Or it'll do a crash zoom on something. Like, just really, really clever things that I, I really respected that, that I think could have been left on the cutting room floor. I, uh, another director might have just been, hey, let's just do this safe. Do Go with what works. Shot, reverse shot. It's simple. This movie elevates just enough that I'm I was intrigued and I'm intrigued to see what our director Autumn DeWild does next because I really enjoyed it yeah I I I thought the directing was really good again even though it's not aimed at me I thought he did it I mean just a great job with with all the the technical parts of of filmmaking I enjoyed the score enjoyed the the characters the acting um all of it, and and again, it, it's I like it more the more I get away from it, and the more I kind of learn about uh, Jane Austen. I, I you know I read read up on her Wikipedia page a little bit earlier just to kind of get a better feel for when she was writing this novel, and it, you know it's just I'm liking it more the more I get away from it. Absolutely, uh, I've got more to say because I really enjoyed it. Uh, I I know we already mentioned the performances, but they're worth mentioning again. The performances are outstanding in this movie. Uh, almost everybody, Bill Nye explodes off the screen as Mr. Woodhouse in the most nonchalant way because Mr. Woodhouse in the book is supposed to be a very kind of curmudgeonly stay at home. I'm afraid I'm going to get sick because he has some kind of weird past father and he is, but like when, when he speaks in this movie, he just kind of jumps off the screen at you uh, in, in because he's Bill Nye and why wouldn't he? Anya Taylor-Joy's tremendous as Emma Woodhouse. She brings confidence to this role that I wish would have seen from somebody like Emma Watson in Beauty and the Beast and she's only done so many films and she's really really good and holding down the lead role in a movie that is exclusively built around her even in the title the supporting cast is great there's people in this movie i've never heard of like josh o'connor and johnny flynn who were really good uh who i really enjoyed uh i thought everybody was great in this movie the costuming is good the hair and makeup is great the soundtrack is good the lighting's fantastic the setting is great like i I liked an awful lot about this movie and and it just felt so much larger for being such a small film about such a small group of people in a small town in England. Um, it really feels like this this director will go on to do bigger, better things. That's what I, that's what I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Andy, are you ready for recommendations? I am. <laughs> Andy, would you recommend Emma? I am going to re- going to recommend it despite despite like I said um not being the target audience. I enjoyed a lot about it and I think it's always good to get out of your com- comfort zone, you know, and while I really enjoy, you know, lots of extreme and bold cinema, it, it it's also good to, you know, to eat your vegetables, do your homework <laughs> and watch a period piece drama of a of a classic uh work of literature. Um so yeah, I really enjoyed a lot of it. Um Great performances, like you said, cast, set, all that that stuff. And if you're familiar, if you're a big fan of Jane Austen, I think you're really going to like it. If you're unsure, if you're not, maybe wait for streaming. Yeah. Uh, I would recommend it as well. Like I said at the top before I started gushing about everything I loved about it, it's it's a bit of an intense movie. Like It really does expect you to keep up and pay attention and watch what's happening and listen to what's going on. If you're a little hard of hearing, maybe subtitles. Honestly, like it really... You got to keep up. But if you're familiar with the story, uh, if you love period films, I think you'll really enjoy this movie. I think it's probably a pretty good date flick uh, because it feels really intelligent. And I think whoever you're going out on a date with might think, wow, they're, they're smart. You know, um, I, I enjoyed Emma a lot. I, I want to see what Autumn DeWilde does next. I, I thought this movie was really sharp. Um, may, may make a top 10 in the end of the year. It'd probably make an honorable mention for me. That's how much I enjoyed it. Like I, I probably not top 10, but it, man, I thought this movie was really good. And with that, we should move on to our next segment. Andy, please, uh, you want to take the reins on this one? It's time for the trailer park. So our first movie uh, that's up is a new uh, film from Sony Animation called Connected. Hey kids, there's supposed to be some great hikes around here. Just a sec, Dad. We hear a pal about to drop our biggest invention yet. Meet the helper bot. We promise you they will never, ever turn evil. Mom, what is that? And this is a story of a of a small family who, you know, mother daughter 
father son uh, who have their daughter is is becoming uh, college age. She's going off to college, but they seem to be drifting apart, and it seems that uh, social media is a big part of that. Um, and th- you know, they load up the car to go across to drive across the country to go to school, and then in the middle of it, there's like some sort of like ro- like smart AI robot uprising. <laughs> Um, and then it's it's about kind of surviving that. And uh, this is produced, I think, by the uh, by uh, Chris, the Lord Miller. I don't remember of the Lego Movie fame. Um, they're attached to this uh, somehow. Um, and I really liked what this trailer looked like. It's got a unique animation style. The movie looks like a lot of fun. And I thought at first it was going to be kind of this very paint by numbers family thing. But then, like it, like I said, it, halfway through it takes this weird and fun turn into like, oh, there's all these AI bots, which I guess are standing for Amazon, who all uh, kind of gain consciousness and everyone has to kind of battle them in, in PG fashion, though. Yeah, it's it's... It's really something else. Uh, this movie, first off, at least the trailer, is is unabashedly from the minds behind Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse from Sony Entertainment. They they have it at the top, and then I think about a minute into it, they run it. They run the banner again from the people that brought you Spider-Man Into the Spider. Like they want you to know, hey, this is creative and this is different, and that's expressive in the animation style, just like that movie. It's got this kind of watercolor look. It's really sharp. It doesn't just look like generic CGI. It looks different and it looks interesting. And I'm already intrigued because of that. But yeah, man, Andy sent this trailer over and the first it's a two minute and 40 second trailer. I clocked it. The first minute 50, which is over two thirds of this thing. It is a generic. My daughter's hooked on her cell phone and I want to spend more time with her. So we're going on a road trip to college movie. It's a goofy movie. It's a goofy movie. Yes, (laughs) that's exactly what I was going to say. It's this it's the plot to a goofy movie. And then right at minute 50, it takes a hard right turn into robot uprising and families surviving war of the worlds. So I'm real interested to see how this plays out structurally, because according to the trailer, that didn't happen until the third act. But in the film, I'm sure that would happen much sooner, probably second act. Really intriguing. Really cool. You've got your fun nuclear family for uh, two two kids and a dog, right? Older sister, younger brother, goofy, pug-looking dog, animal, you know, family-friendly children's film mascot. Uh, but for the most part, like, I'm pleasantly surprised at how how good this looks uh not necessarily for the plot but for the animation for the voices danny mcbride voices the father um yeah i I, i'm curious about connected i'll probably i'm more excited to see that for the show than i have most children's films i think yeah uh should i take the next one or do you yeah (laughs) no you go ahead uh all right yeah the uh you know, honestly, Andy, I got more to say about the the, the one after this than this one. You found okay. this trailer. You should probably just tell people okay. what, what this is about. <laughs> okay, no, no problem. Yeah. Uh, so this next one is called The Other Lamb. There once was a woman made of moonlight and teeth. She would roam in the woods, searching for something, hunting. Uh, so this is a new horror d- uh, d- drama d- uh, directed by. Oh man, I cannot say this name. Oh no, um, I'm not. I'm not real sure where this. Oh movie god. Is. Oh yeah, just a uh, uh, Mal Malgorzata Sumalska, uh, dude. <laughs> anyway, so let, let me yeah. let me let me talk about this trailer. So this is about uh, this cult and these women uh, fictionalized. Um, and it looks a, a story of about 10 women who are living in a cult with just one man. Um, and it looks, you know, it, it's a total, you know, everyone's been brainwashed and buys into it. This guy is kind of the Messiah, but there's kind of sinister, obviously uh, there's kind of sinister things going on behind the scenes. And uh, the main kind of cast character, um, see if I can find, find a name here, uh, played by Rafi Cassidy. Uh, she's, in the trailer it says that she's like soon to become of age and this like she, while she thinks this is a really great thing everyone else is kind of warning her that it's not i'm not real sure the what the direction this is going to go but man this looks it looks really intense it looks like there's going to be like some body horror there's some gore you see blood in the in the trailer but you know it's almost like uh, this captive movie you have someone uh this group this cult uh, almost like midsummer of, of people brainwashed into a certain way of thinking and then someone trying to 
what it looks like breakout of that. Looks really intense. I'm really excited for this. What do you think? Yeah, I, I am as well. I definitely got questions about this movie. Uh, it definitely looks like small cast. It's got that A24 modern horror style of like big wide shots of landscapes and forests and stuff and kind of dreamlike dread and uh, kind of these haunting visions, which looks like our, our, our young uh, main character is experiencing a um, couple of things in here. One, this trailer is listed as unlisted on YouTube. Which means it's not public. You have to have a link to get to it. So I'm not even sure how Andy found it. Uh, but that's that's interesting. And two, somebody in the comments said, <laughs> this is so great. This is like last year's Midsummer slamming with uh, M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. <laughs> exactly. Like it really, it really does seem, yeah, it's like this weird kind of cult combined with like a girl who's been in it her whole life and doesn't really know anything bigger and, and deciding I have to get out of here. There's something more to this. So uh, definitely intrigued. It looks creepy. I... It, it looks like one of those movies I would see and go, you see the trailer for it, okay, yeah, that, that looks cool, but I'm probably not going to watch it because it looks like some kind of downer at the end of the day. Like, it looks like nothing nothing good is going to come out of that. But I said the same about Midsummer, and I actually really enjoyed that. So, uh, tentatively intrigued, I guess, from IFC. IFC Midnight is the studio that made this uh, kind of division of IFC films that makes just kind of the darker stuff, so... Uh, I, I dig the, the foreign cast. I dig the foreign setting, the foreign director. Like, I'm... I like ideas from other places, and this seems to be one of those, so I'm into that, I guess. Uh, our last trailer I'm excited to talk about, because I um, I may have read this book way back in the day. There was a time when I, I thought this book was kind of cool, and I was also like 12, so, you know, take it for what it is. The book, uh, the movie, sorry, excuse me, the movie is Disney's Artemis Fowl. We want to know everything about the man you work for. The man. Oh no, this isn't about the father. This is about the son, Artemis Fowl. So, Artemis Fowl is the story of young Artemis Fowl. The name of the title is also the name of our main character. He's a young boy who lives with his father, who's a eccentric art and vanities collector known around the world. They're insanely rich and have this huge rip bodyguard. And when his father suddenly disappears after leaving for a trip, Artemis discovers that really what his father's been collecting is these hidden artifacts for secret societies known the world over. Things like fairies and trolls and dwarves things that live underground and things that are invisible that we can't see his father knows all about him he's been captured and artemis has to team up with a, a young fairy named holly short and a, and a dwarf named mulch diggums i think is his name or something like that and and his, his huge rip bodyguard to save his dad and ultimately save the world uh this is definitely derivative of the book like every children's book uh children's movie made out of a book this book came out like 13 years ago and during, like, the Harry Potter days, actually had some legs. And this movie has been in development hell ever since, and they could never get it made, and now it's coming out, and if I was a kid, I would probably think this movie looks super sick, but I think it looks super lame. Andy, what do you think about this trailer? So, the, a trailer for this movie came out about a year ago, actually, and that that looked like a completely different movie than the, what this trailer looks like. Like, I... Like, I didn't care for the first trailer. It looked like, you know, silly YA fantasy. And I liked, I definitely like the look of this one a little bit more. And it, it has a little bit more coherent plot. But it's just like night and day. It's like two completely different movies. So that doesn't bode well for this property. No. Uh, I think that's probably indicative of, like I said, what's coming off of the book as well. Um, this, this film, well, like, if I can just... Here's where I here's where I like tear apart the movie before I've seen it and, and act like I know something even though I don't. But based on the trailer, right, it seems a whole lot like Artemis Fowl is. I mean, he's he's like a twelve year old genius, right? He is in the book. He's he is in the movie. That's fine. But it seems a whole lot like he's our main character and he's kind of our hero. What was so charming about the book is he is the villain in the story. He's the bad guy. And you really don't understand why he's trying to break into the secret society. And our, our young hero in the book, Holly Short, who is a fairy, is trying to infiltrate his giant house and figure out why a 12-year-old is trying to, to, to tear apart the fairy realm or whatever. Much more intriguing than 
kid finds out his dad is a secret spy and he can be a secret spy too uh, if he uses technology. It's it's Spy Kids. It's the movie Spy Kids again, except with one kid, Spy Kid. That's what it looks uh, like to me. Yes. Uh, it also kind of looks like Men in Black. It's the same kind of thing. It's that fish out of water. Oh, I, I have to step up and use wonderful technology and wear a black suit to uh, be a superhero. For kids, again, uh, probably huge. If I was a kid, I would probably think this movie looks so cool. It's got a cool rap song is the track on it, uh, on the soundtrack, and, and it looks so neat, and, and I would probably think this movie looks so fly. Uh, but I read the book. I'm disappointed immensely. <laughs> uh, we should probably move on. But I will have to go back and watch that original trailer. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's like, like I said, it, it's like a completely different film. Yeah, and also directed by Kenneth Branagh. That's just worth mentioning. Uh, star and director of Murder on the Orient Express and a handful of other films you've seen. Uh, so that that's a surprise for me. Uh, pushed out by Disney. So, hey, Disney's taking another swing at the ball. Uh, anyway, Andy, I guess we should move on to our final film. Honey Boy. I see you. Contrary real hard. Be a 12-year-old. Pie fight. Ugh. It's not a pie fight. Think it through. What's your mother got a job for? Just in case. In case what? I don't In case know. you fail. In case it don't no. work out. Yes, man. She's filling your head full of fear. I pump you full of strength. Because we're on a team, and I know you got what it takes. You're a star, and I know it. That's why I'm here. I'm your cheerleader, honey boy. So this is the latest film, not the latest, it's been out for a while. It's an Amazon uh, Studios film written by Shia LaBeouf and uh, somewhat uh, autobiographical, not entirely. Um, The film chronicles uh, Otis, who's a young actor, successful actor, who uh, but is having some trouble on set and uh, run-ins with the law, has anger issues, has uh, substance abuse issues, um, you know, gets arrested a few times, eventually ends up in, in rehab. And uh, when he finally gets there, it, he realizes the third time he's been. And if he leaves, he's he will serve time in prison. So he has to stay there. He has to try and do this uh, therapy stuff, which he's not um, super into. And so when when he kind of delves into his past and begins to look at uh, what trauma he may or may not have, because you know the uh, the therapist tells him, you know, you have signs of PTSD, and he says, "Well, I'm not a soldier. I don't. How could I have PTSD?" And then we kind of cut back to his his childhood, and we see exactly where that comes from. His childhood in, involves him growing up as a child star with a very abusive father, um, who's played by Shia LaBeouf. And again, this is based on his kind of uh upbringing as well and his his father is well-meaning but incredibly abusive but you know they have this very com- complex and strained relationship where they do care about each other and Shia LaBeouf depends on uh or Otis the young Otis r- depends on his father you know to be the, sh- the Hollywood chaperone that he needs to be able to work but then like the father depends on the kid because he's actually employed and he's got some a rap sheet and some other issues um, so this is this is our setup, and I was really not. I really didn't want to watch this movie for the longest time because I thought you it was, did not want to watch this movie. Yeah, for weeks you put this movie yeah, off the list. Like, it, no, I don't want to watch it. Because I, I well, initially, uh, you know, and it, kind of unfairly, I, I thought this was um, kind of going to be self indulgent. I thought it was going to be you know, woe is me, so hard to be in a successful child star. Um, but uh, Shia LaBeouf has managed to make it generic enough that it, it doesn't seem like it's necessarily about him. It could have been about any actor or just a story about an actor in this situation it, you know if he had not said this is about me or you know kind of used a pseudonym for the writing credits um you know i, I wouldn't have had that opinion but it, it it's very relatable in that like i said it it's it's more generic it's not the shia labeouf story anyways zach what'd you think uh i think there's a lot about this movie that works uh i i think it's smart i think it's efficient i think it certainly has some emotional highs um but ultimately it felt a little hollow to me it didn't quite get there and i'm not sure why that is but i think i've got some ideas that i want to talk about Mm -hmm. uh i was not able to really distance myself so much from the what's the word i'm looking for here uh the buffness 
Yeah. Uh, I, I could not. I had a real tough time shaking the uh, Shia LaBeouf, woe is me. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm a rich white actor in America and life is hard for me thing. And I know it's not necessarily about him, but it is heavily autobiographical. Uh, he wrote it. It's heavily based on his life. Um, it's not the same. And, and for all I know, half this stuff could be made up. And I think that's part of the point of the films. So we should probably get into why that is, but that really, really hurt the experience for me in the film's lesser moments so let's talk about what works and then we'll talk about what doesn't work i guess uh please uh, take it away so i think probably one of the the strong points is shia labeouf playing his own father as uh this very abusive alcoholic you know uh not a great father but also kind of there for his kid at the same time but you know and, and that's what i had heard before i'd heard that he did a great job acting because he did i mean he is a jerk and he is like He's not quite a deadbeat, but he's close to it. You know, he's he's someone who has not been successful in life, who has had, uh, like I said, issues with substance abuse himself. Um, he has he's a, a registered sex offender, which is a, a huge problem for employment. Um, but I think uh, Shia LaBeouf does a great job of channeling this this angry older man who has to work for for his son. So I think he's one of the standouts of this. Yeah, I, I agree. He he, it's a pretty trim cast really our, our, our cast is Shia LaBeouf as the father James Lord Lucas Hedges as 22 year old Otis who is our main character and Noah Jupe 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 as as Otis who's 12 Lucas Hedges was most recently in oh god what has he been in I mean, uh <laughs> not boy erased but the uh Ben is back as I know he was in that uh, Lucas Hedges is a pretty good actor for what it's worth. As as a young actor, he's been in some pretty cool stuff. Uh, Noah Jupe was most recently in A Quiet Place. He's the young boy in that. He was also in something else we watched. Man, I'm really just stepping all over. I mean, this. His, I mean, uh, his big th- for Ford me is v Ferrari. He's the son in that. So, yeah, he's uh, been in some stuff. Yeah. Uh, the two, the the three of them, I should say, are all pretty good. I, I thought they were all real good. And then other than that, it's it's a whole lot of kind of unknowns. There's a couple people in here like Martin Starr or Clifton Collins Jr. But like for the most part, those those are our three characters. Otherwise it's a whole lot of a whole lot of nobodies. And and they were real good. They like they, they, they hold down the performances really tight and really well. Shia LaBeouf is, is pretty good as as the father. I, I was never once convinced by the terrible hairpiece that maybe <laughs> Maybe it was by intention, but my God, it is it is the most distracting thing in this film for me. I was like, oh my God, it's just so bad. Um, again, maybe that's that's by design for the character. Like you're supposed to not like his hair or something. I'm not sure, but the three of them do a fantastic job of kind of playing this similar character across three arcs. So I, I, I enjoyed all of those. Yeah. The uh, did you mention Lucas Hedges? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, like you said, the performances by the, uh, kind of our main cast are are real strong, and uh, I mean they tell the story of this abusive yet codependent uh, relationship that does. Uh, you know, I, it didn't go the way I thought it was because I I thought it was gonna just be oh this is a bad father and he just needs to leave him and it's it's much more complex than that and tells a much more complicated uh, story. Yeah, and and I I think. The story at, at its core is really interesting. Like it, it, in the first act, I thought this could probably just be a short film, and maybe it could. But the idea of there being this this young, you know, twelve year old child star who is starting to become known and is starting to land more gigs, and and people are like, oh wow, this kid's really endearing and nice and sweet. The idea that behind the scenes his life is pretty much completely in shambles, like living out of like crappy hotel rooms with his dad who's unemployed and is abusive and, and drinking. And like the idea that this 12 year old is not only acting on screen, but acting his whole life, acting as if everything is okay and acting like everything's cool and really everything not being cool is, is really compelling. And the idea that that actually happened, the idea that that's rooted in reality, that that happened with Shia LaBeouf is, is kind of fascinating and really grows outside of the boundaries of the film because you get to understand his character a little bit and kind of the whack stuff that that dude does nowadays, you know? Yeah, um, and I feel like it's he's... It's redeeming he, in a way, yeah. Yeah, and I, I feel like he's calmed down some because, you know, we were talking about Indiana Jones and, I mean, for a while in the in the early 2000s or mid-2000s, he was like, he was 
the hot and up and coming young star. He was in uh, Transformers. He got to be in Indiana Jones. It was hinted that he might kind of take over for Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. And then he started having some real trouble with like with the law and on set. And, uh, you know, he went from Hollywood zit boy to Hollywood's bad boy somehow and kind of come out the other side of that. Right. And like that's. I think that really gives a lot to this movie. Like that really stretches what you're seeing on screen into something more. I, but I also can't help but wonder without that, where that leaves this film. If you didn't know any of that, if you didn't know anything about that, and if you were just totally going in blind and, and watching this movie, knowing nothing about Shia LaBeouf, like I think you would find it interesting, but I don't think it would feel as compelling by the end when, when, you know, our, 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 we, we start to reach this kind of climax of, of our characters realizing who they're supposed to be and, and kind of growing up and getting older and moving on and, and, you know, becoming something more, our, our, our classic hero story of overcoming adversity and, and coming out the other side for better or for worse. I don't know if all of that would work as well. I don't know if it'd be as satisfying if you didn't know who Shia LaBeouf is. And mm. I'm, I'm a little biased because of that, because I know that. So that that was strange for me. Yeah, that is interesting to to see how you would react if you had no idea that it was based on a real life, life person. Right. Like would would it would it still feel the same way? Like I think it would still be powerful in the beginning, but I think as the movie goes on, you would start to get a little burnt on it. Like where is this all going, you know? And I I think it's worth mentioning the movie definitely hits some emotional highs. There's definitely some crying in this movie. There's definitely some ugly crying in this movie. And and it really feels sincere when it happens, you know, when when we have a character in AA just like bawling, you know, about their life. You're like, man, that 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 really sucks. You know, like it, it really does feel like some quality acting from Shia LaBeouf and Lucas Hedges and, 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 and Noah Jupe as well. Really good. And and seeing a twelve year old kid kid, Noah Jupe, crying about his dad, like it's that hurts, man. That's tough to watch. Like it really does feel good when his dad gets angry and when his dad is sad and like that all is really good stuff. Like really good stuff. Um I was reminded reminded, loosely reminded, of something like the Florida Project. Um, living at a hotel with a parent who doesn't know where they're going, doesn't really have direction, like really compelling. But that movie is able to stand on its own. The Florida project is able to stand on its own because it doesn't have to be tied to fame and fortune and anybody in reality. Whereas in this movie, it kind of does, at least I think because I know him and, and I don't, I don't know what that means for this being a film by itself. And so it's almost like you got to have external material for it to matter. Yeah. You might have to, to kind of show more of his success as an actor or more of the Hollywood side of things to kind of get to know that side because yeah because you already know it to going in generally right our, our, our and again this is not necessarily Shia LaBeouf's life we know it's heavily autobi- autobiographical um we know it's very close I think um but it's not like it's not like our main character Otis is in Transformers he's in an action film you know you don't it, it's not <laughs> that he's in the Disney series yeah uh, I forget the name of it uh, even Stevens, he's in a movie of the week. Like we don't really get an exact copy of what's happening. It's a little loose. So I'm sure there's some creative liberties taken there. So it's, it's probably unfair for me to say, Hey, this seems too close to reality, but like, it, it feels like it loses its luster a little bit, you know, because I, I know where it's all going in a way. So mm-hmm. I don't know. And, and again, I, I'm, I'm, I need to stop harping on that because there's a lot in this movie that works. So we should probably move on to cinematography and, and that kind of thing. But please yeah, take, take so the story. The, so there's a lot of uh, the way the story is told is there's a lot of flashbacks. There's jumping back and forth between um, Otis in rehab and then him thinking back and recalling stories uh, or just times in his childhood, difficult times and, and not so difficult times w- with his father. And that's, I, I really appreciated that. And it was easy enough to follow. I didn't get confused, which is easy <laughs> happened to me, uh, sometimes with that, that style. Um, but I appreciated that. It, it feels like it's sh- shot with lots of handheld, lots of kind of floating camera look. Um, that's kind of all that really stands out to me. What do you think? Yeah, I thought the lighting was real intriguing. It, it's real inventive. A lot of it's just like 
a crappy, you know, one story motel and they're sitting around in the parking lot and, and our 12 year old kid is walking around with no shirt on smoking a cigarette. Um, which is, you know, dark, darkly funny in a way I should say, but, uh, there's definitely some sequences in this that are a little bit more dreamlike, a little bit more like hard to tell what's reality and what isn't. Um, it's not too overbearing. It's pretty obvious when it's happening and it doesn't happen too much or anything, but you get some really clever use of light in there. Some kind of pinks and purples and hues that were really smart. And there's this, uh, there's really this focus on this relationship between this father and son. And it's strained, but like it's so fascinating to watch because sometimes dad's kind of cool, Right. And other times he is explosively awful and like you never really get any kind of even keel, which is exactly what a kid needs an understanding of boundaries, you know, mm-hmm. um, never happens. And, and in some moments, the dad seems apologetic about that. And in other moments, he's not at all. Sorry. And I'm the way I am and you got to deal with it, you know, and like, like there's this kind of fascinating look at this struggle of this father and also the struggle of the son and this weird twisted relationship they have that kind of works. Um, it is definitely a bummer because you, you get these flash forwards to Lucas Hedges, 22 year old Otis and where it all ended up. And that kind of sucks. Uh, but like the, the two of them bouncing off each other is really fascinating. Shia LaBeouf and Noah Jupe working together. Um, really, really something worth watching. Like, because the two of them on screen are, I just have this really manic kind of energy that I haven't seen in a long time at the movies, I, I'm hard pressed to think of another movie that made me think of uh, their relationship like that. Um, I don't have a ton left to say about this. Honestly, I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of burning out. Uh, the, the soundtrack, I, I enjoyed a lot electronic, uh, very good. It didn't seem too confusing with kind of the leaps back and forward in time. I thought that was all straight. Ultimately, I, I wish it hit higher emotional highs. It felt like a movie where I should have been like really torn up and crying by the end, and I just kind of wasn't. And I don't know if that's because I just kept thinking about Shia LaBeouf as I was watching it, or <laughs> if it never really gets there. But I, if you if you watch this movie and you feel that way, like right into the show, let us know. Like I don't know, I I didn't, I just didn't quite experience that, and I don't know if that's the lack of the film or or my own interpretation of it. Maybe it's worth a second watch. But there is a lot in this movie I think that works. The relationship between the two is is really kind of the core of it and it's compelling to say the least andy would you recommend honey boy yeah i would um it it was a good first i think first film to be written by shia labeouf um it is a very touching story it is you know difficult subject matter there's a lot there's lots of you know blatant kind of child abuse uh the younger otis gets slapped around uh quite a bit they him and his father smoke together it's it's very I, I was really kind of weirded out by that, like having seen a kid, like because I'm pretty sure he's just full on smoking in the in the, in the film. It doesn't look like a prop or or something. I don't oh know. man, they 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 have herbal cigarettes. Yeah, something that they roll. I mean, if they shot this in in Los Angeles, you straight up can't smoke on a film set. Like it's illegal. So oh, okay, they so, had to they had to have come up with something clever, but I don't know. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, you know there are some hard hard moments, uh, but it's you know it's in the end it's a story of, of redemption of redeeming this this relationship that is codependent and important you know the the son doesn't just want to walk away from the father entirely he just wants him to be a, a better father and they have to go through some difficult conversations and situations to to get there um great performance by shia labeouf the hair piece did convince me even if it okay. did, didn't convince you were into it, yeah um, I was, man, I was struggling with it. Yeah, but it, I think it's, it, I think it's a good first film family dra- drama. Some heavy, heavy uh, materials at times, but overall, I recommend it. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I, I thought it was really intriguing. I, th- I think the kind of way it's presented, it really catches your eye, and and I did enjoy a lot about it. It's it's heavy. I think uh, not as heavy as I wanted, but I'm not sure what exactly I was looking for there. Um, but. Uh, if you're looking for something just a little different, or maybe, man, if you're perplexed by Shia LaBeouf, uh, it might be worth watching. If you've ever thought of him as like a meme or just like a, the running joke that he is, uh, you know, hey, maybe it's worth, maybe it's worth spending a little time. Watch Honey Boy. It's on Amazon Prime. It's easy to, easy to access. Uh, you might feel differently about him after it's over. I think I do. So yeah, uh, Honey Boy and, and a very sincere look inside somebody's life. Um, not too shabby, I guess. And not a shabby week in the <laughs> movies. Definitely some very thought-provoking films. Um, not not too bad, I guess. 
Next week? Oh God! What are we watching next week? Are we going to watch The Invisible Man? Are we are we <laughs> committing to that? So, so one of the things uh, next week opening is Onward, which is Onward. the the latest uh, Pixar film. Um, March release makes me think it's going to be kind of weak, but uh, it's the big big release, and um, we could go back and see The Invisible Man. There's not a lot. Of, there's like nothing on streaming this week. Or yeah. this month, uh, so TBA. But Ellie, we're definitely going to see Onward. Definitely going to see Onward. We'll, yeah, we'll see about Invisible Man. I, man, do, double weeks at the movies tear me up. I, I know, can usually I do know. one for the show, no problem. But two is always two's a, a little a little much. Uh, and for everybody out there thinking, come on, two movies in one week, you do a movie podcast. We go see one movie every week, and we've been doing this for like ninety three weeks. All right, give <laughs> us a break. We go to movies a lot, so yeah, we'll we'll figure it out. But. If you go to movies a lot too, or maybe you don't go so much, maybe you enjoy listening to this podcast, uh, subscribe. Subscribe to the show. That's what I would recommend you do. Maybe follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn. We're not actually on LinkedIn. (laughs) God, I downloaded LinkedIn for the first time today and people were like, "How you're 27 years old. How do you not have that yet? And I was like, because it's made for boomers. But anyway... um, it's a, it's a scam, but that's another Isol- conversation. Isolating the rest of our audience, yes. Uh, no, LinkedIn's fine. Uh, boomers are fine. Good God. Uh, <laughs> follow the show on social media if you can swing it. Uh, and write in. Let us know what you thought. We'll read correspondence on the air. I promise. We do it every show that we have correspondence. <laughs> so we're excited to do that. Check out our website, Offscript Film Review. And email us at mail at Offscript Film Review with your thoughts. Leave a rating and review if you want. And that's a great way to tell us what you think of the show. Um, you got to leave five stars. It's it's the damnedest thing. Uh, the other buttons don't work. Five <laughs> definitely works. I've tried it myself. Uh, so go ahead and leave a rating on the show if you can swing it. And uh, thanks for listening, I guess. That's the other important thing to do. Thank you for listening to this rambling mess of a podcast. <laughs> we'll be back next week with more. From all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.